Jeremiah said, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, and how we ought to thank God for that. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. Ephesians, chapter number 6. This section of the scripture is absolutely amazing. I, I hope no one gets the impression from these brief sermons that we've brought on these verses that we've exhausted everything here. I, I remember several years ago, I bought a set of books, three in fact, and uh, three volumes in this set, and if I remember right, it was Charles Bridges, uh, uh, an old Puritan writer, and it had to do with spiritual warfare, and it's all on this section. I, I've never read anything so in de- uh, so much in detail in, in, in all of my life. It, it's just absolutely mind-boggling, and uh, so I, I'm just trying to let you know that there's a whole lot more here than what we're able to to teach in these brief messages, and maybe that'll, you know, encourage you to spend some time during your personal Bible study to, to really do some deep thinking about these verses that we're going through. But tonight we're in verse number 16, as we continue in consideration of the whole armor of God, Paul says, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. During the battle of Spotsylvania, and that was in the Civil War, the Union Major, uh, John Sedwick, stood gazing out over a, what do you call that, a paraffet? Paraffet? Is that a a barricade, barrier, down in the foxhole, whatever? Uh, Parapet. Parapet, uh, and he's gazing out over it. Now, remember this guy uh, is, is their leader. Everybody else is depending on him. And so he's looking out at the enemy, and everybody uh, keeps telling him, get out, get out. That, that, that's dangerous. They're going to they're shoot you. And uh, he said, nonsense. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. That, that's all he got out and he's dead. Well, the enemy's bullet found its mark. And that sad story, true story, reminds us of our need of protection when we're involved in spiritual warfare. The enemy, our enemy, isn't playing games. He's intent on destroying us, and we better avail ourselves of every means of protection. And notice again what Paul said, and what he had in mind, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye may be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, notice he likens uh, faith to the soldier's shield, and this particular shield is not the little small shield that was attached to the forearm, and it's interesting that in a lot of cases you'll notice that uh, in an illustrated Bible study, for example, and and uh, things of that nature, uh, where they're talking about the shield of faith and 
and again and again, I've seen the picture of the soldier standing there, and he's got this little shield on his arm, but that is not what this means. This particular Greek word for shield has to do with a large shield, sort of like a, a mobile door. And generally they were like two and a half feet wide, four and a half feet tall, made out of either some kind of metal or made out of thick leather, something of that nature that would, uh, would you know, help uh, knock down the arrows or spears or whatever. Uh, a lot of times in those days, the enemy would take their arrows and put a piece of cloth on it and soak it in some pitch and set it on fire and uh, shoot that. And you can imagine what havoc that would would you know reap on the on the enemies, and so they would hold these shields up in front of them and get behind them. In fact, the the armies literally could put one shield you know against the other, and they could build like a barricade there, and you know all hide behind the shield. So this is what Paul is talking about now. Before I get to the main part of the message, and there's three main things I want to talk about tonight. But before we do. There's a couple of things that I think we need to clear up because there are, there's at least two things that's led to some confusion. There are a lot of Bible teachers that have spent a considerable amount of time trying to distinguish between the first three pieces of armor and these last three. And they stress that, you know, the three pieces that he's just mentioned are affixed to the body whereas the others aren't. And in some of them, he talks about having this, and in the others, he talks about taking this. And so they make a distinction between the two. And I'm not going to try to explain uh, the details of that, but I just want to say that personally, I think they're making much ado about nothing. I mean, it absolutely makes no sense for us to try to differentiate you know, between some of these meaning this and some of, some of them meaning that. The point is that we need every single piece of the armor. Missing just one piece of the armor can be fatal to us. The second, the second problem that I see with some of the Bible teachers is that they put a great deal of emphasis on the words above all. Now, I understand that if you just, you know, read like in our King James Version and we're reading it in the English language, I can see where they might think this. But notice what he says again, above all, taking the shield of faith. And they say that means this piece of armor is more important than all of the other pieces of armor. And again, that's not true. Uh, this particular word speaks about something that is superimposed. It's talking about something that is over something or upon something. So whenever Paul says here that we are to, above all, taking the shield of faith, what he's actually saying to us is in addition to, we are to take the shield of faith. In other words, we need an overall protection. So, in addition to these items he has already mentioned, and that goes right back to what I said, we need all of the pieces of armor. So, in addition to what we've said, in addition to what we'll say in the future, we need this critical piece of armor. Now, now three things tonight that I want you to think about. Number one, what it is. 
And we don't have to wonder about this. this. That's the wonderful thing about the Bible, is that the Bible interprets itself. You know, I, I realize that sometimes it's helpful for us to, you know, take an English dictionary even. You know, a lot of people think you've got to know the Greek and the Hebrew to be a Bible student. And the fact of the matter is, all you need to do is get an unabridged version of the English dictionary. I, I have one in my office, great, big, thick. I mean, it really, it's probably nearly, probably six inches thick. It's got all of the English words, all of those archaic words that we don't use anymore, they're all in there. And, and, and whenever you think about, you know, the King James Version written in 1611, and so this is the 400th year, by, by the way, that the Bible, the King James Bible has been in existence, and uh, uh, I, I praise the Lord for that. But understand that a lot of this is old English, by the way, and, and so sometimes we need to look at the English Dictionary. And sometimes it is helpful to look at a particular, the meaning of a particular Greek word. Because after all, that's how you got the King James Version of the Bible, right? That's the way we got it. The translators translated it out of the Hebrew and out of the Greek. And so if they translated it out of that, then not for the sake of correction, but for the sake of clarification, it's extremely helpful to us to go back to the Greek or the Hebrew and to understand better what a particular word is saying. But we don't have to wonder about this. You don't have to be a Greek scholar. Notice what he says. It is the shield of faith. That's what it is. And and so that has to do with our trust or our confidence in the Lord. It implies that we believe what he says and that we behave accordingly. Now, think about this. Everybody has faith in something. Whether you get on an airplane, you know, you buy your ticket, you get on the airplane, you go back to your seat, you sit down, and you have faith in the pilot's ability to fly that big hunk of metal and to get you where you're going. You go to the bank and you deposit your hard-earned money, and you have faith in the bank that they're going to take care of your money. Maybe you shouldn't, but you do. You go to a doctor that you've never met that gives you a prescription that you can't even read. You go down to the pharmacy and you get it filled and you take a pill you've never seen in your life, all because you have faith in the physician, you see. So in all of the different areas of our life, we have faith. Now, he's not talking about faith in general. We're saved by faith in Christ. We must continue to walk by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ if we're going to live victoriously. But this is not just having faith. You see, a lot of folks have faith in faith. Are you listening? Faith in faith. In other words, this, the positive thinking people. They've got the attitude, you know, if you'll just psych yourself up, if you'll just make yourself believe, anything can happen. You dream it, you know, you can have it. You name it, you claim it. You, you, and all of that sounds good, and a lot of motivational speakers use that. Oh, you was born in America. You can become anything you, you want to be. Really? Is that right? It's just not true. It's just not true. Remember the little child story, the little train that 
that could or thought he could, you know. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Well, you can think you can all you want, but there's some things you can't do. And the Bible is not talking about positive thinking that has been so popular. It's not faith in faith, it's faith in God. God is the object of our faith that's far different than positive thinking. Faith is simply believing that what God says is true and that we act accordingly. And uh, and until we are willing to do that, we're going to live a defeated life. Now, I want you to think about that last statement. Until we're willing to do that, we live a defeated life. I didn't say we live in poverty. I, I didn't say that we'll be able to get an education. You know, I didn't say that everything else is going to go wrong. I just said we're going to live a defeated life. Well, what is success? Everybody says, well, you need to be a success. We tell our kids, I want you to be successful. What does that mean? Success is discovering the will of God and doing it. That's, that's it. That's it. That's success. And none of us can be a success without faith in God. And that's a decision that you and I make. God doesn't force you to trust Him. God wants you to, but He doesn't force you to. So this is what he's talking about, faith in God. He's the object of our faith. That's what is the shield of faith. Now, that brings us to the next question, that is, why is it needed? Well, you know, it ought to be easy to see why faith is important. Remember there in Hebrews chapter 11, he tells us, without faith it's impossible to please God. But now notice here, as he speaks about it in the terms of the shield, he says, Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. That word wicked there means hurtful or evil, and it's used in reference to Satan. Turning your Bibles over to 1 John for just a moment, 1 John chapter number 2, and you'll see, again, an example of the Bible interpreting itself. Chapter 2, and notice in verse number 13. John says, I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. And now notice here, he says this again, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Satan. And this is exactly what Paul has in mind when he says that with faith, which is our shield. With faith in God, he says, we're able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. The fiery darts refers to Satan's attacks. Satan's attacks are personal. They are powerful, persistent. In other words, when you get up in the morning, you're going to be under attack tomorrow. We're constantly under attack and they're missiles of destruction. I mean, every day in every way, from any direction, Satan is going to 
launch his attack against us. Sometimes they come to you when you're praying. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, you're praying. Why, why you're, you're in your bedroom. There's nobody else there. There's no temptation being dangled before you. The door is shut. Maybe the lights are out. There are no distractions. There's nothing there that ought to cause it to happen. And right there in the middle of your prayer, all of a sudden, Satan launches one of his fiery darts. Sometimes it's whenever you're studying the Word of God. It might happen when you're standing up here singing. It might happen when you're witnessing to your next door neighbor. And all of a sudden, Satan floods your mind with these horrible thoughts. And sometimes it's very brief, just a fleeting thought. And sometimes it lingers and it continues maybe even for hours. I don't have time to develop all of the thoughts, but I want to mention some of the forms that these attacks can take. You got these on the overhead? They didn't put them on the overhead tonight. Well, I sent it to him. I guess they didn't use it. But here's some of the various forms in which these, these fiery darts come. Haunting doubts. Even for those of us who have faith in God, we never get to the place in life where we do not have some occasional doubt. In other words, we question things we shouldn't question. Oh, we believe Jesus died on the cross. We believe He forgave us of our sins. We believe that we're going to heaven when we die. That's all settled. We believe that we're rock solid with that. <laughs> but we get this overwhelming feeling that something really, really bad is going to happen. And we begin to have these doubts. And all of a sudden we, we wonder, you know, if we're going to survive or we wonder if we're going to be able to pay our bills or, or, or whatever. And we even look in the Bible and we see what the Word of God says about this. You know, God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And we start doubting that. The Bible says that, that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord or are the called according to His purpose. We start doubting that. Haunting doubts. And it can happen to anyone. Sometimes it's hideous thoughts. I'm talking about things that are even, that are evil, even blasphemous, things that are filthy and vile and ugly. Don't you dare sit here tonight and pretend that you don't know what I'm talking about. If you are alive and there's blood flowing through your veins, You know exactly what I mean. Hideous thoughts. And you might even think to yourself, I thought I was beyond that. I, I thought I had advanced and grown spiritually that I was beyond that. I can't believe I'm even thinking something like that. Where does that come from? It comes from the wicked one, from Satan. It might be 
heretical ideas. By heretical, I'm talking about that which is untrue. I'm talking about things that are contrary to the Word of God. We call it heresy because it doesn't measure up to the standard of God's Word. Sometimes I've seen good people embrace some crazy ideas, things that are heresy. And they're good people, they love God, and some way they get it in their mind that this is the truth and it's not the truth. How can good people get so confused? The wicked one, the enemy. It might be harmful imagination. In other words, we imagine that someone is angry with us when they're not. Uh, We imagine someone hates us when they don't. We imagine that others are unjust when that's not really the case. We imagine that, you know, that people are motivated by pride or by arrogance, and, and it's not true at all. You've done that. Let me tell you, I sit and listen to... I've listened to preachers over the years so much, and there have been some times I've been so grieved in my spirit and offended because I had the impression this guy is doing nothing but trying to show off. That's all he's doing. He needs you to shut up and sit down. I am not so foolish as to think that I'm not right sometimes. But I'm also not so foolish as to think that I'm always right about that. There are sometimes somebody gets up to preach or somebody gets up to sing, and maybe it's one of these people that really put themselves into it. Well, maybe they're not even up here preaching or singing. Maybe they're out there. They're saying, Amen. Hallelujah! Preach on, brother! Maybe they're even throwing their hands up in the air and they're excited. And and all of a sudden you start thinking, I wish that show off and you shut up. They're just showing off. That's all they're doing. Now listen, you might be right. That does happen. But you might be wrong. And we've got to be careful about judging people when there is no evidence that it's true. You see, love should cause us to give the other the benefit of the doubt. So unless there's evidence to the contrary, we ought to believe the best about that person. So, listen, give them a break. Don't just assume they're showing off. You see, Satan can really do a number on us in this area of our imagination, and it can be very harmful. Another thing that can happen, it might be the fiery dart of hateful feelings. Isn't it amazing how husbands and wives, that's the best example I know, you know, how they can turn on one another sometimes, and I mean, the person that we love the most, and And you know, I think it is a fact that almost all of us are guilty of being more mannerly, especially in public, more mannerly, more kind, more gracious to strangers than we are to to our own family. That doesn't that happen to you? You go into the restaurant, you don't yes ma'am, no ma'am, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, you're on your best behavior. You're using good manners. <laughs> and you get in the car and you start home and you just start snapping at each other. And sometimes we get these hateful feelings toward one another. It might be harsh judgment. It might be hasty decisions. And I wish I had time to talk more about that. Hasty decisions. Now, you see, if Satan can get you to, to rush into something, he can, generally, he can generally get you to really make a big mistake. You've heard people say, do something even if it's wrong. No, no. You better make sure it's right. Don't make any hasty decisions. It might be a haughty attitude. Now, I'm going to stop there. You could make a bigger list, I'm certain. But the point of it is that these attacks from Satan comes in many different kinds, many different forms. But the point is our protection in every area that I've just mentioned, in every attack from Satan, the protection is the same and it's the shield of faith. That alone can protect us from his fiery darts. Turn back over to 1 John for just a moment, chapter number 5 this time. 1 John chapter number 5 and verse number 4. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. Well, that's good news. Amen. We can be overcomers. We don't have to be defeated. Now notice, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You, you see, faith in God enables us to be overcomers in this world. We don't have to live a, a, a beat down, defeated life. We can be overcomers. But the only way it can happen is through our faith in God. Now, we see what it is. We see why it's needed. Lastly, I want you to think about how it works. How it works. And there are three things that I want to point out. When we think about the shield of faith, what does it do? How does it work? Number one, faith procures hope. How does it do that? Now, we all know we need hope, right? When we're in a tough situation, hope is the one thing that we need. I, I can remember just last week on two different occasions in speaking with someone, when the conversation was over, I made this statement to these two different individuals. I said, it's very important that you leave here realizing that there's hope. There's hope. We need hope, but where do we get this hope that we so desperately need? Listen, when people don't have hope, that's when really bad things begin to happen. When people lose all hope, they're liable to do anything. Hope comes from our faith in God. In other words, remember, God's the object of our faith. And when you bring God into the picture... All of a sudden, your perspective begins to change. Whenever you begin to focus on Him, then your view of everything else is different. Over in Romans chapter number 4 and verse number 18, it's speaking here about Abraham, and this is uh, really a remarkable 
statement when you take into consideration the situation that he was in, and, and we'll look at that in just a little bit. But I want you to notice here in chapter 4 of Romans, and let's begin reading in verse number 18. He says, Who against hope believed in, in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Faith changes our perspective. I love the way Isaiah put it in chapter number 26 in verse 3. It's, he said, He will keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Think about that. Perfect peace. Well, you can't have perfect peace unless you have hope. So that statement certainly implies hope. And in order to have that perfect peace, in order to live in hope, we have to have our minds stay on God. We've got to keep Him in the picture. Faith procures hope. Secondly, faith provides courage. Without faith in God, we're going to be overwhelmed by our fears. When we trust Him, we find the courage to face the challenges of life. And you can just go through the Bible and find one example after another. But since we were just talking about Abraham, and I promised we'd get back to his story, I want you to notice what God says in Genesis chapter number 15. Now, I, again, I wish I had time to show you the connection with all of the events going on in his life. Lot has left him. Lot has been taken captive. And, 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 and he, he has, you know, had, had to go and rescue Lot. And, I mean, he's in a pressure cooker situation. This is a crucial time in his life. He desperately wants a son. And here in the midst of all of this turmoil, God says in verse 1, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now think about that. I am thy shield. In other words, I am your protection. So where was it that Abraham got the faith to go on? Where, where was it that Abraham had the courage to, to march on? Remember, he and Sarah are traveling to an unknown destination. We, we, sometimes we talk about the faith of Abraham, but think about Sarah. Abraham comes in one day and says to Sarah, well, we're going to move, sweetheart. And, you know, she's thinking, well, all right, I've been wanting to get on the other side of the tracks. I wanted a better house. I wanted this. I wanted that. Where are we going, honey? And he says, well, I don't know. Don't have any idea. You don't know where we're going? No. I don't know where we're going. Oh, well, maybe she's thinking it doesn't matter as long as we've got all of the family together. You know, it doesn't matter. No, no, no. You don't understand. We can't take anybody. It's just me and you, babe. We're going somewhere, and we don't know where we're going. Now, you, you talk about faith. I mean, here is a woman that's willing to follow a man that doesn't have a clue where he's going. 
That's faith and that's love. He didn't know where he was going, but he knew who he was following. And that's all that's important. And if you want courage to face the challenges of life, then the only place you're going to get it is by faith in God. Thirdly, it not only procures hope and provides courage, it produces obedience. In James chapter 2, in verse 20, and in verse number 26, one of the morning mammoths this week dealt with the, these two very verses that say basically the same thing, and that is that faith without works is dead. In other words, just worthless. And, you know, people talk about, oh, I've got a lot of faith. Well, do you really? You, you see, if you have a lot of faith, it's going to be evidenced by your obedience to the Lord because faith, now listen very carefully. Faith is more than your intellectual assent to historical facts or, or to theories, for that matter. Faith is active. Faith is practical. Faith causes us to remember, as I said in the beginning, faith is believing what God said and acting appropriately. So it means that I believe what God said is true and I respond to that truth in obedience. And where there is no obedience to God, there is no real, true faith in God. And please don't misunderstand this. We're not talking about being saved by, by our works. That's not it at all. But we're talking about being saved through a faith that works. You know, we talk a lot about, well, if you love God, you obey God. Now, but that's true. You know, loving God does motivate us to obey God. But let me tell you, believing God will motivate you to obey God. I mean, whenever God tells us and when God warns us that if we're disobedient, He'll chastise us. I, listen, I don't know about you, I believe that. And if I believe that, I'm going to act accordingly, which means that I'm going to take into consideration what God says that I ought to do. You see, here's what it's about, folks. Satan is striving to gain your allegiance. Satan wants control. Wasn't that what it was all about whenever Satan comes to Eve? And remember what he said to her? He said, no, no, listen. In the day that you eat, you become, you become like God. In other words, you can become your own God. You can, you can get control of your life. That's exactly the lie that he's been propagating all down through the centuries. That if you want to be in control of your life, I mean, you listen, that you, you, you just, if it feels good, do it. I mean, enjoy yourself. Live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. And all of these, all of these lies that he sells us. Listen, and it's not at all about you being in control. He might make you think that. You heard young people brag about me. Nobody will tell me what to do. It really sounds tough, doesn't it? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. You, they don't even understand. Satan's already pulling their strings and already has control of them. That's what it's about. Satan wants control of us, but when our faith is in God, we're not going to give him control. We're going to give God control. 
Oh, how we need this shield of faith. I think everybody here would agree that no soldier is ready for battle unless he's willing to follow orders. I mean, regardless of what we think or how we feel, every soldier is obligated to obey his superior officer. And by that, I mean without question or hesitation or reservation. Can you imagine being in the Marines and the drill sergeant says, you know, you do this and you say, well, you know, uh, could you be more specific about that? Just why do you want me to do that? And you, listen, you're not going to get along very well if that was your attitude, are you? When God speaks, we need to respond. We don't need to know the whys and the wherefores and everything else. And no Christian is ready for service until we're willing to obey our great commander. Now, regardless of our abilities, regardless of our intellect, uh, none of us are any benefit to the kingdom of God until we're obedient to the Lord. And the key to our obedience is what? Faith. That's the determining factor. Faith in God. Because if I truly trust God, I'm going to obey God. It, it's just as simple as that. But it's also just that serious. Remember, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. That will put everything in a different perspective. Absolutely impossible. If I don't have faith, in other words, if I don't have the shield of faith, if I'm not trusting God, then I cannot please God. If I trust Him, I'm going to obey Him. If I fail to trust Him, I'm going to displease Him. And, you know, sometimes we look at that, someone that's given over to doubt and fear, And we think to ourselves, you know, that's really a pitiful situation, but they're really a good, godly, decent person and uh, just going through a hard time. You, You see, I don't think we understand what an insult it is to God for us to say, I'm not going to believe you. I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to follow you. Do you see how serious that is? To say to God. Who's holy. God who is righteous. God who loves us. And for us to turn right around and say, I don't think I can trust you. I'm not going to depend on you. I'm not going to follow you. Let me tell you. It's no wonder that God, and I'm going to, I don't know how else to say this. I'm going to put it in terms we'll understand. It's no wonder God gets upset with us. When we have that kind of an attitude about Him. Okay, now, one last thing. If, if you have failing faith, let me tell you what to do about it. If your faith is failing, what do you do? And, and the wonderful thing is that we can all do something about it. And here's what you need to do. Get to know God. Now, understand, I'm not saying that if you have failing faith, you just need to get saved. That's not what I said. I said get to know God. And nor did I say if you have failing faith, you need to get to know more about God. 
Now, that's really important that we know more about God. That's even involved in knowing God better. But I'm talking about knowing God in, in an intimate way, as it were. To know Him personally. Not just knowing about Him, but really knowing Him. Having a relationship with Him. And by the way, that's exactly what God wants from us. Listen to these words from Jeremiah chapter number 9. You ought to mark this down somewhere. Verse 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, and let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and noticeth, and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And by the way, isn't that exactly what the Apostle Paul wanted there in Philippians chapter number 3? He said all of these things, I'm talking about all of the supposedly good things, religious things that could have been said about Paul. He said, I do count them but dung. They're just manure, that's all. In other words, he's saying absolutely nothing else is important to me in this life except this one thing, and that is in knowing the Lord. Wait a minute, Paul, don't you already know the Lord? Haven't you already been saved? Indeed, he had been saved. But here is Paul, advanced in years. Here is Paul, a spiritual giant. And Paul is still wanting not just to know more about God, he's just wanting to know God better. And I'm telling you, folks, that is the key to our failing faith, is knowing God better. If faith is failing, and we need to know God better, we have to turn to His Word, because Romans 10:17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Some of the very people that's not here tonight, wasn't here this morning, wasn't in attendance last week, some of the very people that are going through deep, deep waters, some of the very people that are overwhelmed with problems, some of the very people that are whining and complaining and bellyaching about all of the stuff that's wrong in the world and wrong with the church, don't even see the need to be here under the sound of God's Word in order that their faith might grow. That would enable them to deal with their problem and enable them to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. I'm glad you're here tonight. And I hope and pray that all of us see the need of taking the shield of faith each and every day, realizing that, listen, Everything depends on this. Our willingness to believe what God says and to act appropriately. And that acting appropriately has to do with what? Well, our hope, our courage, our obedience, our love. Well, it has to do with everything in our life. 
acting appropriately. The reason we do that is why? Well, because we believe that God is true and we trust Him. Let's all stand. Father, how we thank You, Lord, for Your Word that reminds us of our sins and our faults and our failures. And it's like a mirror that we can look into. And all of a sudden, in that moment when we think that we are just so good, so righteous, so holy, all of a sudden it just smites us and makes us realize that we're nothing but filth and scum and and sinful beings, totally unworthy of your blessings. And in spite of that, you love us. In spite of that, you want to have a relationship with us. And you've expressed yourself over and over again in your word. Help us to not turn the deaf ear, but to believe what you say is really true. And to respond appropriately to what you've already written. Help us, Lord, as the old song says, living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love. Lord, that's what we want. Help us to be a people, a church here, that really, truly lives by faith. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Now as we